They use this gun then to coerce some of the less enthusiastic officers. And ultimately, at mm. about five o'clock in the morning, Christian kicks Bly's ass out of bed for a change. Keep in mind that coconut incident had just happened like the day before and he's got a cutlass and a gun and he's like, wake up, slut. This here is a mutiny. (laughs) History, I'd like to follow me down the rabbit hole. History, I'd like to frankly Welcome to Hilf, history I'd like to fuck with Don Brody. I'm Don Brody. And it's so cozy here in The Den. That's the Deluxe Edition Network. To find more great podcasts in The Den, click the link in our show notes or go to deluxeeditionnetwork.com. Now, I hope you've stretched, okay, because you are in for it. This is an epic adventure tale from the high seas. A story of violence and lust and honor and greed that spans thousands of miles and centuries of time. It's the mutiny on the bounty. Oh, oh, did you feel that? (laughs) Now, I am joined by Scott Edwin Williams, an Australian school teacher and author of the incredible book series, Lightbulb Moments in Human History. He is brilliant. He has an infectious laugh. And like me, he seeks out those moments from history that make you giggle and gasp, but also give you hope. Hmm. So climb aboard Bounty with us and meet infamous Captain Bly, the crew of sexiest mutineers, and the tattooed kick-ass bunch of Tahitian mamas who saved the fucking day. (laughs) Oh, I've saved you a coconut. Let's get started. We have, you and I, been through it just trying to find this time to record remotely because we are uh, on the other sides of the world. There's oceans and time zones. It's fucked. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like it's, for me, it's eight o'clock in the morning. Right. And it is uh, one o'clock in the afternoon for me, but it's also, if I'm not mistaken, for you, it is Friday the 12th, correct? That's correct, yes. Wow. You know what that means, Scott? It means that when you and I are speaking, I am literally history. Oh, yes, you are. I am like... (laughs) I'm in the future. I am your future. (laughs) My future is gorgeous. (laughs) Well, I'm a fan of you, Scott Edwin Williams. As usually happens, I end up diving, especially when my guests are strangers to me. I do find that in the course of my research and preparation for the episode, I I end up diving into your hilf, girl, like as much as I do (laughs) the subject at hand. And you're you're a glorious uh, anals to explore. You, um, You are a historian yourself, a history nerd. You don't like people calling you a historian. You prefer history nerd yeah i feel like i don't quite rate historian but hey it's it's just a personal preference (laughs) you identify better as nerd i understand yeah um but you have written you are published you are the author of light bulb moments in human history part one cave to coliseum came out last year and part two peasants to periwigs comes out 
in April of this year. You have multiple books published, yep. girl. That's historian stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then I also I just recently published the audiobook of uh, of the first book. So that was that was fun. <laughs> That's cool. Who's your reader? <laughs> A guy called Joel Hines. Um, I, I needed to get an Australian guy because in parts of it I say, oh, as, a, as an Australian, blah, 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 and I couldn't have a British ah. person or an American saying that, so I just had to get some Australian guy. Who man, He was really good. That's awesome. It, you'd speak as yourself. It's a first-person perspective, what you think about these events, how you relate these events to kind of your own life and your own interest in history, and it's funny and it's lighthearted. It's, it's great. Well, to me, I wanted to try to... And in a in, in very similar way to what you do with Hilf, is to try to make history, you know, as interesting as possible, to try to see the humour in it and to try to make people interested because of that. Because I see it. I, I love it. I'm not like you. I'm, you know, um, totally in love with it. But yeah. not everyone is. And I think it's, it's hard right. to... Uh, to make people fall in love with it if they just can't see the humour and all the other stuff in there that people don't teach you in school, usually. Right. I'm with you, man. It's yeah. like I'm in love with it too. I want to think and talk about history all the time. And most people are so turned off by it or they think they're turned off by it. I feel like it's like people who, you know, just their favourite food is pickled herring. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you're just like, oh, no. And I don't have to make anyone else eat it, but like, how do I move through the world with this seemingly repugnant thing just like on me and about me, <laughs> oozing out of me? You know, I can if I tell him, trust me, you take a little bit, you put it on a Ritz cracker, you may never, you may never go back. Um, and uh, one of the things I love too about your perspective on history and and the way your book unfolds is that it's really optimistic. And I've watched some of your interviews, too, and, um, and you, you maintain that optimism throughout. One of the little blurbs that describes your book, I think, so well, says that it uh, entertains, yes, and provides hope that while times are tough, we're not all going to hell in a handbasket. So <laughs> what about your study of history has given you this hope for the future? Okay, well, I think we tend to lose sight of the fact that um, we have all these amazing things that people have never had before, like technologies and all the things that human ingenuity has bought, but also um, literally health. Uh, It wasn't until like the 1940s that they introduced penicillin. And until that point, um, human lifespans were like 60 maybe in in developed countries, 65 if you're lucky, yeah. Uh, in undeveloped countries, it was far worse. And it wasn't until like the last, you know, sort of 20 or 30 years, it's really um, jumped up a lot. And I think we just take that stuff for granted. We just go, oh, well, you know, everything's shit. Um, and we look, lose track of the fact that, like, we have stuff available to us that would have been, like, uh, and, and stuff available to us that is would have been amazing to a to caveman that mm. to us is just like normal everyday crap, you know? Right. Who cares if I can have a coffee right now and, right. and get my an espresso machine to make something? Like to make coffee 50 years ago, you'd have had to ground some beans and done all that stuff. And yeah. maybe people would love that, some artisanal people, but I don't want to have to do that every time I make a coffee. It's a great perspective. You bring this 
this regular reminder of how really incredible humanity is mm. and that there is a pendulum swing to this that that indeed when one points out how fucking rotten we are and we are i'm not, I'm not saying for a moment we're not and we are <laughs> and let's not forget dude that we are rotten then <laughs> there's terrible stuff but that it, it swings both ways yeah and that you just you know it's a it's the it's the beating heart of all of our great literature knows that for every voldemort there's a harry potter oh, yeah. knows that for every archangel there's this is we know that we live between the swings of these things so mm. get on once upon a time there was a, uh, a historical perspective that um the world was just always on and up always going up there was there was just always upwards never never there was never any sort of downward slides and i think because we are going through a somewhat of a downward slide at the moment, I think it's yeah. easy to think that oh, we're, it's just it's going to continue. We're going to keep on declining. You know, the civilization's over, all that kind of stuff. When in fact, this has happened all along, and I'd describe it as um, history is like the stock market. Yeah, like it's there are corrections, there are, there are declines, but there's a general long term uptick. And if yeah. you look at it over the, the long period, uh, it's always going up. Yeah, there are sometimes there are down, like right now, there are lots of crappy things happening in the world. And there's always natural disasters and stuff, but I don't take those into consideration in this. Just, that's just act of God. Sure. <laughs> but as far as human endeavor, there's always, uh, you know, um, ups and downs, yeah. but generally going upwards. I agree. Mm. <gasps> And this does bring us, I know you've listened to, to some Hilf episodes. You know how we I've listened generally... to them all now. I've listened to them all now. <gasps> yes. Last, oh. time, last time we were um, talking about this on uh, in our emails, I hadn't listened to them all. I've listened to them, every single one of them. Oh. And I'm a fan too, Dawn. I'm oh. definitely a fan. I, I don't feel worthy. <laughs> oh, come on. I am, I am humbled by your fandom it's like you scott and my mom you and lana you listen to everyone it <laughs> fills my heart well you know then that this is the part where i ask you why you delivered unto us this incredible health of mutiny on bounty what brought us here okay well there's a couple of reasons i mean obviously i'm an australian and even though that yes. there's not not an immediate Australian connection to Mutiny on the Bounty. It's it's taking part place at a time uh, when uh, Australia is being settled, um, and it's not very far away from Australia being settled. But then later on, there's another connection with Bly because he later he later becomes the governor of New South Wales, which is the the convict colony yeah. um, where I had an ancestor who was brought out on the first lot of <gasps> ships that came out. So a chicken <laughs> thief was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so what a distinguished so, line, so I yes. A, yeah, I have a connection to that whole period. It's something that I really enjoy. But also, um, it's just one of those stories. Mm. And the more you look into it, like you think, you just think initially think, oh, it's just a mutiny on a boat, no big deal. But when, the more you read about it or hear about it, you go, oh, my God. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, it's sexy ass. Girl, girl. This history walks into the bar, just tits first. <laughs> the jukebox stops. It this hilf man. And you know, I have a lot of Australian 
listeners, which makes me so happy. I know in large part because I, I'm uh, a friend of Jim Jeffries podcast, the, I don't mm. know about that, which is such a joy and they're so nice. And so I have um, inherited <laughs> some, uh, Australian listeners who I adore. And so, and some of the folks shortly after they started listening to Hilf had sent me the mutiny on the bounty, mutiny on the bounty. And I'm like you, man, I know Marlon Brando was in one of the movies. I know Mel Gibson was in one of the movies. I know what a mutiny is. I'm a I'm a boat nerd. I'm a pirate nerd. You know what I mean. So yeah. I know I oh, and yes. I know that yes, I know that. <laughs> and I know that mutinies <laughs> are fascinating. And so of course I'm interested in that. Wow, did I have fun! I went into this a bit of a virgin, and uh, I'm 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 feel like a professional streetwalker now <laughs> after all of our stuff. Um, this book, this book was my primary source. It is called The Truth About the Mutiny on HMAV Bounty and the Fate of Fletcher Christian. And it's written by a guy named Glenn Christian, ah, who yes. is in fact a, a descendant, descendant of Fletcher Christian, the lead mutineer. And it is uh, a page turner. I had the joy of reading this over Christmas. So bless my relatives. They got a lead. I literally, I'm such a nerd, jump up from the recliner. You know, people are just sitting next to a crackling fire watching Elf, you know, for the 10th time. And I just <laughs> leap out of my father-in-law's recliner and be like, you guys, did you know that they had nine Tahitian women? And they went, and everyone's like, shut up. And I, you know, <laughs> sit down. <laughs> It's it was it was a wild ride. Um, there are some incredible resources, of course, on the internet that have detailed genealogy that mm. will trace pretty much every passenger, every crew member, everyone they encountered, where they ended up, and you can do the like, um, you know, side the like um, conspiracy theory wall with your yarn and your oh, thumbtacks yeah. and just. Oh, yeah. Have it, have it out. It's a lot of fun. Um, and what a delightful resource uh, was the Pitcairn Islands Center. So, spoiler alert, one of the islands that we're going to talk a lot about because the key mutineers end up on this amazing, isolated island in Indonesia. Um, their descendants live there still. And it is a totally autonomous and independent place. And they have made a lot of very cool cultural decisions that are unique to that island. And bless their hearts, they got to love a history and they got a little history center there. And it has an amazing online presence. And uh, I milked it. Oh, cool. Milked it. Big cool. time. Um, so here <laughs> is my plan <sighs> going forward for our hilfing of the mutiny on the bounty. So it turns out, as I said, this is sort of an ever-blooming rose of stories. And the adventure tale of the mutiny on the bounty is actually like five whole independent <laughs> adventure tales. Um, there is the story of the mutiny itself, yep. which is nuts, right? The, the first lieutenant of the bounty, Fletcher Christian, who mutinies against Captain Bly and then sets Captain Bly off on the open sea in a boat with like 18 other guys. That's nuts. Just that story. Crazy. Oh, yeah. Then there's the story of Captain Bly and those 18 fucking guys on the open sea who end up surviving and going thousands of miles with no mm. instruments across the open ocean to oh, yeah. tell the tale. Crazy. Then there's the story of the mutineers who, after they leave Bounty, make lives in Tahiti only mm. to be caught 
by cunty Captain Edward Edwards. Oh, yeah. Who, and then they're shipwrecked <laughs> on their way back to London to face justice. This is nuts. That's crazy. And then there's the panty dropper, Scott, story of our hero, Fletcher Christian, right? Played by Marlon Brando and Mel Gibson for a reason, right? And Clark Gable in the early one. John Dillinger, <laughs> my God. Who, along, right, with these indigenous men and women, attempt to build a utopian society on a deserted island and actually do it for like a minute. <laughs> it's, mm. it's nuts, right? And then let's not forget, dude, the indigenous women who... who basically jump off a cliff into an unknown world with these white mutineers and have their whole history completely changed and introduce new things to the world. I mean, my God, the fuck. It's hot fuck. Oh, yeah, it's it's full on. <laughs> so here's what we're going to do moving forward. I'm going to get us aboard the bounty, all right? Right before and during the mutiny, we're going to get to know these guys we're going to find out the stakes. We're going to mm. kind of get our sea legs, right? Um, then yeah. we're going to get to the part where Bly gets pushed out on that open boat with those 18 guys. And when <laughs> Fletcher Christian has taken command of Bounty, in reality, you, Scott Edwin Williams, are steering this ship, okay? It's not exactly a choose-your-own-adventure, but it's going to be a choose-the-next-adventure. You will point our sails. Excellent. <laughs> okay. 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 I'm, I'm prepared to navigate us through this, uh, this stormy sea. Oh, I knew you would be. I knew you would be. I want to start, of course, with a story. <laughs> so we are aboard... The bounty. We have been at sea on the bounty for over a year. Well, that is 10 months getting to Tahiti is a lot of uh, details you're going to hear unfold later. The bottom line is we are exhausted. Captain Bly is a cunt. Okay. Oh, yes. And our guy, First Lieutenant Fletcher Christian, is asleep in his hammock, finally below decks after getting a break, and he is kicked awake. Not with it. Get your shit up, right? The captain wants to see you above decks. Fuck. He's tired. He just fucking laid down. He, this is no fun. I think about this has been fun. And he kind of gets above decks. And, and William Bly, his captain, puts a finger in his face and says, Damn your blood. You've stolen my coconuts. <laughs> <laughs> And Fletcher Christian is like, what the fuck? What? And he's just mad as fuck. Where the fuck are his coconuts? Who took his coconuts? The captain is on a tear, all right? Mm. And Fletcher Christian is not exactly a low-level sailor. He's second in command. He's the first lieutenant, and he doesn't get treated like this exactly, right? And he's a gentleman. Right. Whereas um, Bly is sort of from a bit, bit lower born. So, in fact... Uh, from a um, from the point of view of class, mm. Fletcher Christian is actually a sort of classier dude than Bly. Yeah, and is used to a certain, not just a certain way of treatment, but like a certain level of respect, right? And yeah, who, this mm. kind of inversion, and it's been getting to him for a while. And also, he is like, yeah, I did. How about that? I was thirsty, and so I helped myself to a coconut, which is perfectly within... 
his rights, right? These coconuts are cheap as fuck. Mm. Anybody on board can get 20 of them from an indigenous islander by giving them a nail, right? These things are, everyone's <laughs> kind of got their own coconuts laying around. You can just get them, right? But he's like, yeah, I'm thirsty. I ate a coconut. And also, guess what? I, as the second in command, I can drink your booze. I right now have the right to go up there to your private liquor supply and help myself to your booze. So why why would I think, even if this is your fucking coconut, man, why would I think I couldn't help myself to this coconut, right? And Bly is fucking livid. I knew it. I fucking knew somebody took my coconut. And he he cuts the officers and the crew. He cuts their rum rations, their, their supply of yams. My God, not the yams, you know. Not the yams, oh. But everyone's already hungry and thirsty, so it sucks, right? But he doesn't stop there. William Bly then says, he says to these officers, you know, only half of you are probably going to make it back to London because I'm either going to throw you overboard when we get into the straits or I'm going to leave you in Jamaica. And and not the officers were like, the fuck, man? And the and the regular shipmen were like, Jesus Christ, if he said that to those guys, we don't stand a chance. Yeah, yes. Right? Yeah. All of this coconut incident story, because it is only within hours of this coconut incident that the mutiny that dominates our story officially begins. <laughs> What was the instigating thing? What sets our crew right off together on the on the ocean? And it is drumroll, right? Yep. yep. Breadfruit. Yep. <laughs> this whole thing happens to bread because King George the Third, right? He'll be back. Um, is has just lost the American colonies and girl I mean he just lost the American colonies like this is 1787 I mean we have we haven't quite finished our constitution yet but we know we won we're that close to the end of the revolutionary war and among other things King George III is fucking broke oh my god all that money he spent to get them colonies gone Mm-hmm. He's going to have to spend more to trade their fuck. The French are going to have a better port than him. God damn it. And so he turns to his his people, right? And he's like, listen, here's what we need to do. I need some of the colonies we do have to start paying off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay? What are we doing this for if these colonies don't just start sending checks pretty soon? So we need to make money, tighten our belts. And the botanists <laughs> sit down with the mathematicians and go, the answer is breadfruit, your majesty. <laughs> That's it. You just We found it in Tahiti. When Captain Cook was over there, he found this amazing plant. We wrote about it. There's pictures of it. We've seen a few of them. And here's the deal. They will, they're nutritious. They're hardy. I mean, it's kind of hard to tighten your belt on your labor force when they are entirely enslaved. Right. The only thing you can really do is try to find a cheaper way to feed and house them or increase productivity. And so it was seriously like, this is it. We think if we get this plant, we'll repot it there in the Caribbean. It will do really well. It tastes good. It's kind of like a combination of like bread and potatoes. It's Mm. hearty. The leaves and the wood are very useful. You can build things out of that. It's a win-win. It's a win-win. Everybody's going to love this, right? So the bounty... Is This is the order. You, Captain Bly, we're going to give you this ship called Bounty. And this is a moment to just let you know why I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to stumble on this for, for the rest okay. of this episode. Technically, 
It is not the bounty. Right. The bounty is incorrect. It is technically Her Majesty's armed vessel, Bounty. Uh Just Bounty, no the. However, how can we be blamed? Every movie is Mutiny on the Bounty. The only the only movie that isn't called Mutiny on the Bounty is just called The Bounty. <laughs> so for anyone who may be like more nautically minded than me who like itches every time I say it, fuck off. That's how it is. <laughs> it's 91 feet long. It's built for a crew of 13. You, however, good buddy, are going to get a crew of 45, (laughs) and you're going to scrunch them. You're going to squeeze them all together in this little fucking ship, and so there's room for the breadfruit, you understand? And and we need you to get there, by the way, quick and cheap, so that means going the fastest way possible, and that means you're going to go via Cape Horn. Mm. Problematic. Problematic. I don't know. If, I mean, if you spin the globe around once, you go, no, that's a terrible idea. Cape Horn is the southern tip of South America. It is cold as fuck. It is violent winds. There is exactly like a, a week's long window of time that any fucking ship, and this is still today, has a reasonable chance of getting around Cape Horn mm. without just being smashed to bits. And the Admiralty says to William Bly... Yes, that's the way we'd like you to go. And and then they delay them so long that there's no way they arrive in that perfect window of time. So for the first weeks, it's just they get their asses slapped by the ocean trying to get around Cape Horn and just cramped and cold. <laughs> and, fucking off. and William Bly, when faced with adversity, does basically one thing he is like one reaction which is just get pissed off (laughs) just get mean yell louder hit harder take things away from them make it personal beat the fuck out of people for good reason no reason who cares who cares (laughs) yeah and eventually they're like there's we can't get around cape horn time's running out we got to go the long way the way we've gone before the way people go which means this wasted time, and they literally whip a shitty <laughs> over there and the other way towards the Cape of Good Hope, which is at the southern tip of Africa, of course. Bing, bang, boom. Mm. We know this route, okay? And Captain Bly just becomes more of a dick every day. He continues this route of just like, fuck you, your mom's a slut. <laughs> Go sit up there until your ass hurts. You don't get any more food. Just uniformly hated. Yeah, not a popular guy. And then they get to what I call ta ta da Tahiti. Yeah. Now I don't. Have you been to Tahiti? I have not. I've been to Fiji, which I imagine is not dissimilar in some ways, but not Tahiti. Probably anyone who arrived in Tahiti, for the most part, goes, "Oh my God, it's so gorgeous! Mm. Holy shit!" Right? But for these guys, <laughs> these sad sacks, my word, they were like, "Fuck yes." Tahiti Yas. It is warm. It is not moving. And even before even before the boat, they were living in England in sort of the late 7th, sort of 18th century. <laughs> so an island paradise by comparison to that. Exactly. Flying to Tahiti first class from London, you're still like, oh, thank God. Got me out of London. <laughs> we 
are about to like really kind of beat the shit out of uh, William Bly for good reason. He mm. really sucks. But um, one optimist to another, mm. I thought we would start pointing out some of his more positive attributes. Okay. And so a little quiz question right. for you, Scott. William Bly is credited for being ahead of his time in terms of seeing to the necessity of diet and exercise. So the long-term success of a naval voyage. Okay. What was a daily habit that he demanded from everyone aboard? Okay. And you've got multiple choice. Okay. Oh, okay. I, I can answer that a, multiple choice, but go for it. Oh, that's so impressive. Do you want to knock my socks off and do it without the multiple choice? Sure. Or should we give the listeners oh, a give, chance give to see? Give the listeners a chance. And then maybe... Let's give them the a chance. Okay, because they're like, wrong. what the fuck? <laughs> okay, good. No, I'll return no, this. No, this. Yeah. No problem. Like, you fucked that up. <laughs> okay, was it A, that every man climb to the top of the tallest mast, hand over hand, ring a bell, and then slide back down gloveless? Mm-hmm. Was it B, that the whole crew... Gather after sunrise for a mandatory group dance led by a blind fiddler. Mm-hmm. Or C, that each man tie a line to his waist, dive into the ocean and tread water for a quarter hour, regardless of weather. I'm going to go with the blind fiddler. It is the blind <laughs> I imagine that's kind of a hard one to forget. <laughs> I actually I kept track of the blind fiddler throughout this story. I think you'll be delighted Ooh. to find out Excellent. how he ends up at the end of all this. Um, so yeah, we got to give Bly credit. His knowledge, he knew everyone needed some oranges once in a while, and in that sense, you know, and for a guy who has been sort of historically panned, it's like good job with the- nobody died of scurvy. Isn't that great? That's good. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> That's good. The question, though, does come at this part of the real history, right? If, if he didn't, as he's shown in that movie, whip a guy's back to the point of, like, near death. Mm. Although there were floggings. It wasn't like nobody yeah, yeah. was beaten up. But that, if, it, if the violence wasn't actually that bad, then it does ask why the mutiny. Because our story up to this point is incredibly good for context, but is not historically remarkable. No, no. Right, a pointless voyage, a, a crew being sent out by the admiralty for some stupid fucking thing that they're probably not going to be able to accomplish, and have a captain that's sort of a cunt. This is boy howdy, dime a dozen those stories. So the question does come at this point: then why? Then why was there a mutiny, and why was this mutiny remembered? And it it really comes down, I think, to two big factors. One is that it wasn't just that William Bly was an asshole, a violent, brutal asshole. It was that he was inconsistent. Mm. (laughs) I mean it. Because there was a level of violent brutality that wasn't just expected but was necessary. And Mm. and it wasn't just the officers that said, well, you see, we have to beat them, sir. They don't listen. (laughs) It was also sailors knowing that like, if this individual is going to beat the fuck out of the guy who guards our food. Mm. I like that mm. because I, I do believe they'll eat all of our food if they don't, you know, so the guy stole food or he let some of our food rot. Yeah. The captain beat the fuck out of him. I kind of like that. I kind of need that because it's so important to us, right? Makes me feel safe. Yes, exactly. He beat some people way too much for small things. 
he let some people go for stuff that really, tech, you know, the book says you beat the fuck out of them. And he didn't even beat the fuck out of them when the book Ooh. said you could, you know. And he t personal attacks, you know, c reference the coconut incident, just like weird petty shit making people feel bad. So that was part. They just didn't like the guy. Yeah. So for context, I mean, you said earlier, he said to um, to Christian, damn your eyes, Christian. Um yeah. I mean, that is, for those days, terrible, disgusting swearing. Damn is, was a shocking word to say. And, that, like, so he was effectively using, like, really foul language of these guys. It sounds nothing to us today, but the things he was saying to them was actually quite offensive, in, particularly to Christian. Mm. I think that's a really good point. And also to sailors, where they're very superstitious, very religious. They know that their fates aboard these vessels is sort of in the hands of a lot of like intangible elements, right? And and generally the sailor population would be really sensitive to are you calling dams down on us? Like don't damn, nobody yeah. here needs to be damned, girl. It doesn't really hit just one of us on a boat, you know? Mm. This kind of messing with God. Um the the other significant element for the mutiny brewing on this particular crew at this particular time is how long they spend in Tahiti when they get there. They're there for 23 weeks, man. <laughs> and of course they, they are getting tattoos. They're having sex. They're fucking the women. They're making good friends. They're digging on the culture. Mm -hmm. That happens for every sailor and every port throughout history. But 23 weeks in one spot yeah. doing nothing but hanging out and filling your time Oh, that's a, that several things happen. One, you don't want to leave. Mm. The contrast between what life was like on the ship and what life is like on shore is so painfully drastic, right? Oh, yeah. Um, I was really surprised to learn that very few of the crew actually went ashore. William or uh, Fletcher Christian did. Mm. He led most of the time on board. He lived on shore a lot of the time. He was tattooed. He was getting into the Tahitian culture. He definitely went native. He definitely went native, yeah. But then the guys on the boat yeah. were even more like, fuck. You know, they're just like smelling the mangoes on your breath when you come back to the thing. They're like, oh, my God. Oh my God. It was, it, it must have been such a parallel. And this is, of course, where tattoo was invented. Why sailors have these, why sailors are attributed as the ones mm. to have these early tattoos. Because it was these first guys in the Tahitian Islands. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> This is the other thing, though, I think is sometimes overlooked for why William Bly was such a bad captain and why you can just sort of say definitively he was a bad captain in addition to being, like, disliked and too brutal, but then also inconsistent in his brutality, is that these 23 weeks that they're in Tahiti, he fucks up a lot of important captain shit. He seems incredibly devoted to, like, his diary which he wants to publish for profit, which is just like illustrations from Tahiti and flowers, sort of his travel journal, right? Yeah. And he doesn't maintain discipline. He does. This is one of those instances where he's inconsistent. He like makes mm. a lot of the guys stay on the ship and whatever, but like he doesn't stop them from getting tattoos. He has no restriction on their sexual relationships with the women. He's not making them maintain the sails, make sure that the 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 small uh, roundabout boats are maintained well. He's just he's fucking up, right? So when mm. he does twenty three weeks later, be like, all right, everybody. 
let's bring these gorgeous tanned tattooed asses of yours back into the hellhole for for our long cold journey back to drabby old England. Everybody, come on. Yeah. You Leave know. your hot girlfriends behind and let's go. <laughs> That's right. Remember those beautiful breasts because you're never going to see them again. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, by uh, there had been a couple of desertions. that had There had been, as I think history would not have noted them because that happens. They stole a boat, they went into the woods, and we never saw them again. Um, but for the most yeah. part, Fletcher Christian and the rest of them... <laughs> put the flowers on the lady of like, fuck, this sucks. And they get <laughs> back on bounty and they head out. And Bly seems to notice immediately that everyone's just not quite doing the thing and probably recognizing. They're not feeling it. They're not feeling it, right? <laughs> and he does the one thing, his one trick, which is I, I can beat this out of them. I can abuse them. <laughs> sufficiently into duty and it's so bad his treatment that'll make them happy i love this yes this is and he's he's restricting their diets he's forcing them to clean stuff that's already clean just the demeaning you know painful humiliations and they're coming day after day and fletcher christian is visibly not handling it well he's starting to tell people Ah, boy, I feel like I'm in hell, man. He uses that phrase a lot. I'm in hell. I hate this. Uh, to your point about him being a gentleman, it isn't just a personal thing. You are disrespecting me fundamentally, man. You are, you are, and, and let's not forget that Tahitian ass I just had for like six months was so good. <laughs> And I ate the fruit every day, but he's also at the end of his rope. And he, and this is a tough choice because mm. it's all on the line. If he abandons ship, if he steals a boat and just decides to run away and not do this trip back to London, he will lose his job. He will lose his station, lose his fortune, everything. His whole life is gone. Mm. But he's also kind of feeling like that same thing will happen if he defies the captain. If he actually stands up and is like, mm. fuck you, man, and tries to like properly revolt and like, uh, I'm, def I'm taking away, you know, and he has a couple sleepless nights and he talks to a couple of his buddies. And, you know, when you talk about light bulb, I don't know if this is a light bulb moment, but it's one of those moments mm -hmm. where we go, we don't know why or exactly when Fletcher Christian went, wait, why should I fucking leave? <laughs> why should I abandon shit? Why should I? And he, turns on an evening his plan into action which is i'm going to put william bligh on one of these little fucking boats and i'm gonna send him off mm. bounty is mine right he talks to a couple of his sympathetic officers and they're like yeah man mm. <laughs> like yeah man he sucks <laughs> let's do this do this we're in <laughs> and so they there's a guy now now everybody's got guns right and there's the guy the the gunner and the gunner's mate and his whole job is keep an eye on the fucking guns don't let anybody get the guns unless we need them and if the captain says we need guns get the guns to everybody and he's asleep on the gun case and so Fletcher Christian and his buddy goes and wakes him up at 4.30 in the morning and says, hey, buddy, hi, we need a gun to shoot a shark. And the guy goes, okie dokie, second in command, you know, Fletcher, here you go. And he goes back to sleep and he lays down, he goes back to sleep. They use this gun then to 
coerce some of the less enthusiastic officers. And ultimately, at mm. about five o'clock in the morning, Christian kicks Bly's ass out of bed for a change. Keep in mind that coconut incident had just happened like the day before, and he's got a cutlass and a gun, and he's like, wake up, slut. This here is a mutiny. <laughs> okay. And William Bly is stark naked. All of the official testimonies of what happens is he is, he his hog is out. He's white as shit. <laughs> everybody all the other sailors have been getting tattoos and sunshine for six months and he's been writing in his diary under an umbrella so he's very pasty and 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 it's bad enough that some of the officers in their court testimony were like oh lord i tried to cover the captain and fletcher wouldn't let me and it's like oh i just i love that moment just being like let his dick out this guy sucks and william blyce says to fletcher christian why are you doing this? <laughs> what have I done to offend you? Exactly. He's like, you dunce. You called my mama a whore. You've been beating me up. You said you took you took my coconut. You got mad about the coconut. What do you mean? Why? And um, he does, though. William I seems seriously perplexed, too perplexed throughout a lot of this story. Mm. He puts him in a little boat, first little boat that that Fletcher Christian puts him into is leaking and rotten, which to be fair mm. is William Bly's fucking fault, but they get him out and they're like, sorry, we're not going to put you in a sinking mm. boat. We're not going to do that. The second boat they get okay. is too small to hold all of the other people that after looking at things and having a think on it, we're like, I'm going to go with William Bly. <laughs> he sucks. And this looks really dangerous, but I will definitely be executed and murdered by the crown and my whole family <laughs> will be poor and just i'm gonna go with i'm just gonna play my cards this way and it's so many that they have to get a third boat to accommodate them all and it still doesn't hold all the people who want to go with william Bly. Mm. ultimately after what must have been they finally you know he got to put his dick somewhere finally which i thought was generous <laughs> and they do and they do some negotiation they give him some food and some fresh water Bly brings, he doesn't have any charts. He doesn't have a lot of stuff, but he gets a few. They throw him a few bones. They're negotiating, but a lot of fun insults. Everybody's account says that mm. after hurling insults and jeering for hours, and I'm like, oh, to be a fly on the wall to hear what we were saying back and forth, <laughs> that ultimately Fletcher Christian and the mutineers push William Bly and his 18 buddies out into the open ocean and the last thing that they see is the mutineers dancing and celebrating. Was <laughs> a blind fiddler there? I think he was, wasn't he? He was! Yes! The blind <laughs> fiddler got to stay. I'm sure there was probably fiddle music. So we have gotten to the point, I told you, we would get aboard the bounty. We would get to this point. And uh, uh -huh. that you are now in command. And when we come back from our break, we'll find out what direction you're, you're steering us. <laughs> Fantastic. This podcast is part of the Deluxe Edition Network. To find other great shows on the network, head over to DeluxeEditionNetwork.com. That's DeluxeEditionNetwork.com.
Hey, listeners, since you're a fan of this podcast, you clearly enjoy learning fascinating history facts, which is why we think you'll love our show. It's called Midnight Facts for Insomniacs and features weekly deep dives into a variety of topics. It also features us, comedians and lifelong friends Shane Rogers and Duncan McEwen. So whether you're nocturnal, sleep-deprived, or just a fan of laughing and learning, we'll keep you entertained with more than 130 episodes covering everything from astrology to pirates to the history of personality tests. Just search for Midnight Facts in any podcast player to join the Midnight Masses. <laughs> All right, shipmates, hails bells. Now, before we climb back aboard with our mutineers, a tip of the hat to my loyal crew, my patrons. <laughs> now, they're naughty, but I only flog them when they ask nicely. <laughs> Indeed, my crew spend their idle hours soaking up hot hilf bonus content and got this episode a whole day early. Yeah, don't be jealous, baby. Just jump in bed with us and get yours. <laughs> there is a Patreon link in our show notes, or you can find us on patreon.com slash podcast. If you can't fill the coffers, but you still want to fill my sails, drop us a rating, a review, subscribe if you don't already, and then go to Hilf Podcast on Instagram and follow me, follow me, follow me, follow. teacher too right yeah yeah what do you teach i teach what you would call middle school so I you're dealing that. with those adolescents oh no those early adolescents, early adolescents. well see I, I i in australia i teach primary school which is ah. effectively um, kindergarten to year six but i tend to do five and six which it falls into middle school for you guys, mm-hmm. but the the early middle school, and I have to teach everything. So I teach history, math, um, English, everything. Yeah. So that's that's my job. It so sounds kind of great. I always wanted to be a teacher. Basically, I spend my day doing stand up comedy for eleven year olds. <laughs> it's a rough room. It's a rough room. <laughs> oh no! Well, they love this thing. Is it okay? In year five, they love you. And you can do no wrong. In your six, you're an asshole. Great. <laughs> you know, you. this is good. I'm going to write this down because I have a feeling that it's the same at that age for every adult in your life. It's like you don't know shit about fuck. And you're like, God damn. Mm. In fact, I have my daughter um, and I discuss history quite a bit because she's very curious. I'm still a superhero. I'm still in that place where everything mm. I say is right and I have a lot of power. I know it's yep. going. I yep. know it's going quickly. But... Um, <laughs> We, she asked me what I'm doing all day, and I'm always doing the same thing all day, which is thinking about, writing about, mm. reading about, talking about something cool from history. Mm. God bless my life. Yeah. I'm so lucky. Yeah. I'm either making jokes about it or, I'm, yeah. you know, something. And so, she, and she's always curious about the book I have. And so it's a really good challenge for me yeah. to the first filter of every episode is me trying to explain to a five-year-old what it is. Yeah. And you know, it's fun. And she, and she really, and it's funny how much sticks. Cause the other day I was talking about Donald Trump and that he's a bad King. <laughs> yes. And she goes like Henry the eighth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I was like, Whoa. <laughs> We are officially back. I have poured myself. The, the, the ice cube is deceiving you how, bi- how big it, but it's a hefty pour. Okay. 
And I went ahead and went with whiskey because it's my favorite. What did you okay. get? Well, well, I see. I um, it's because it's what's now nine a.m. for me. You... I still I'm still in coffee mode, but I I put a liberal amount of peanut butter whiskey in there. So ah, oh, cheers. That's See, quite, I know. Uh, quite nice. I, can we appreciate too, to your point yes. of uh, increasing human knowledge and how how well we've developed that 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 many of the events we're talking about happened, you know, between the east coast of Australia and the Tahitian Polynesian islands, right, and the north and the Poly- and the north of Australia, Ooh. close to you geographically, and yes. so much of this history yeah, yeah, yeah. was the difficulty for a human being to communicate from and travel to these places. The tyranny of distance. Ooh, that curled my toes. Careful now. I got to keep my clothes on for a little <laughs> bit longer. <laughs> that, uh, that we now are sipping, you know, whiskey that probably traveled across the same oceans <laughs> just to get into mm, our yeah. glasses, um, you know, to humans. We're doing yeah. great. Cheers. Cheers. We're doing great. We could do a whole lot better, but hey... Baby steps. And here we are, Captain. Um, I like. I have always preferred the drivers of my of my vessels to have a cocktail. Arr. So I feel like you are now suitably uh, lubricated to steer yeah. us, my friend. Your choice. You can either steer us in the direction of William Bly, sitting in that open air boat with eighteen other soggy cunts going who knows where, <laughs> or. <laughs> We can stay aboard the bounty with these mutineers and you, we can find out where these guys go. What do you want to do? I think we might go with Bly because he's a pretty funny character. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've got a feeling that Fletcher's having an existential crisis, uh, whereas Bly, I think, is just a <laughs> – he's such a cartoon character. It's, it's, it's going to be funny to follow. I agree. I, you know, it's been fun to sort of cast William Bly in my mind because the movies and some of his behavior has, has made him um, older to me. He's, mm. he's already sort of a grumpy, white-haired old man. But he was only 33 yeah. when this whole thing took place. And I'm 45 <laughs> and I am a baby. So I can only, I can only imagine, you know, um, how good-looking everybody must have been. <laughs> Let's get on board, Captain Bly. So we've just been pushed out, okay? And let's be fair. Even the 18 dudes who climb into the boat with William Bly are not uniformly big fans of his. No. Okay? Some of them are bound by duty to go with him because they are simply not a part of this mutiny and simply cannot be part of this mutiny, however sympathetic they may be. I mean, mutiny is a very big deal. Yeah, we are execution. Your family can, I mean, it, yeah. And forget your career, anything that you've worked for. There's no like, but your majesty, he was a real piece of shit. (laughs) We don't care. (laughs) Especially for a king that is feeling the bruises of what if we just didn't listen to the captain kind of attitude, right? This independence, this democracy, this not following, like it's got to be crunched out or what the fuck are we doing, right? I mean, Britain rules the waves because of the military or the naval discipline. So if they let one little bit of discipline slide, they're screwed. They have to maintain it for everyone all the time. And this is a really good time to make this point, Scott, because significantly... 
This is a run a ship run by the Navy, technically. It's Her Majesty's, right? But this is not a military ship. These mm. guys, very uniquely, all volunteered to go aboard Bounty. No one was pressed into service mm. on Bounty, which is crazy. And one of the reasons why Fletcher Christian was excited to serve with William Bly is because he had before, and they were buddies. The significant difference between the previous voyage mm. that Fletcher Christian had with William Bly was that it was a merchant ship. And you just can't treat guys you're paying, <laughs> whose job this is, the same as you can treat yes. an enlisted man in the Navy. And so there was a real, a real portion of this was the ground shift for Fletcher Christian serving under a captain in the Navy versus the merchant, you know. Mm. The boat didn't even hold everyone who wanted to go. There were quite a few people left on Bounty that were like, oh, fuck, my wife is gonna, oh, my God, and wanted to, but there just wasn't room, right? Or because Fletcher Christian said, yeah, you right. have to stay. We need your particular skill set yeah. with us, right? Yeah, the guy who was like the tool maker or whatever. Yeah, yeah we need you, right? Or you can go, but we need you to leave your tools, which was, a, you know, a bargain that some of them made. In any mm. event, they, none of them are happy about this. They're very cramped. <laughs> they have some food. They have some water. They have a little rum, a little wine, thank God. Some coconuts. <laughs> Hilarious. I'm sure in the jeering and whatever colorful dialogue they had going back and forth, I'm sure they enjoy your fucking coconuts. It was probably in there. Um, and breadfruit. Hilarious. They also <laughs> got some breadfruit. There is not enough room for anyone to lie down ever. The food that they have notably does not include a head of broccoli girl or... Um, Right. So there are bowel pain. Everyone's constipated and in pain. They are sitting. They can't stretch their legs. They're already like, oh, my God. And there's like four inches between the water line and the top of that boat. <laughs> Sounds great. So we are not going to be out here for long. Thanks, Billy. This is awesome. So their first stop and the last place that the mutineers see them go is toward a... <laughs> An island, if you can pronounce, by the way, if I if I make a notable pronunciation error yep. and you know better, please correct me. I doubt it, but... Uh, Tofua. Sounds good, yep. The island of Tofua. Okay, it's a constantly erupting volcano, <laughs> and it's erupting at the time. <laughs> and so, there they go. <laughs> it's a bit of a metaphor for Bly. <laughs> Exactly. So William Bly, by the way, gets to Tafua, and they are. It is a hard pass from the inhabitants of Tafua, who are hard as fuck. Okay, they live on a constantly erupting volcano. They are from the get-go throwing rocks and full attack mode. To the point where we lose our first guy. A guy named Norton gets hit by a rock. He's the quartermaster. He is dead. And the and Bly and the guys are like, fuck, fuck, fuck. And they start throwing clothes and stuff. Anything that will slow them down. The, the, the pursuing indigenous people are slowing down to pick up the shit that they throw off. And they manage with this 18 just slow in the water, moving slow as fuck with these fast moving canoes, just throwing their clothes. That was day one. So it sounds like a scene out of Pirates of the Caribbean. It, 
It does. It's ridiculous. So now they're sitting there. What the fuck are we going to do, man? We are in the middle of nowhere. We have, we have enough food for like a week, maybe. All of these islands, none of these islands are, who knows? We can't go towards the islands. What are we going to do? And so William Bly, Captain Bly says, here's what we're going to do. You know, the boat that just, we almost died in going a hundred yards, Mm. (laughs) whatever it was. Uh, We're going to take this thing 7,000 kilometers. That's 4,000 miles across the open ocean with no charts and no tools. And we're going to get eventually to Timor. Yep. That there's a Dutch East, the Dutch East India Company has a something there. And so essentially looking at the wide open ocean, he goes, we're basically going to go that way. And then we're going to hang a little that way and we'll hit yeah. it. <laughs> I mean, one thing you got, one thing you got to say about Bly is he was, he learned how to navigate from Cook, who was like the, the master. So he was, that he, he might have been a, May have been a total cock, but he was really good at navigating. Mm. I would say he is as good a navigator and a pilot mm. of a ship as you could get, and he would have to be because it did sort of make up for what a dick mm. he was. I mean, if if he because a spoiler alert too, William Bly gets mutinied in his career like nine times. So <laughs> it's, this is not like a one of like, he's just a, objectively, he's a problematic dude that people do not like. He, and not only did he manage to do this, but he does it with reluctant, a reluctant mm. crew, right? Not that they have a ton of choice, no. but here we go. They won't leave. But he says, I've got a timekeeper. I've basically got a compass, a quadrant, some tables for determining latitude and longitude and a timekeeper. And with those instruments, I'm pretty confident that I can get us to Timor. And they all pledge. All right. They look at the provisions and they go, okay, we're all going to agree that we're going to take one ounce of bread a day. Mm. That's 25 grams and a quarter pint of fresh water. That's less than 150 milliliters. Mm. They pledge their solemn oath. No one's going to eat more than that. And they fucking go. Mm. They have a few sails. It's 41 days total that they are out there in the open ocean. 20 of those days it rains. (laughs) Jesus. And they just fucking huddle. And and no one can stretch their legs. And everyone's got to poop. And oh my God. They... Finally see Australia. You've heard of the place. I've heard of the place, yeah. It's vaguely <laughs> it's, familiar. It's very big. And it's, ah, you know, this is after three weeks at sea. It's May of 1789. They managed to navigate the Great Barrier Reef. Yay. Food, supplies. Yep, yep. Okay, but as they also get to shore, people get to stretch their legs for a hot minute and maybe enjoy a fresh coconut for the first time in a long time. It leaves just enough room for grievance. <laughs> they've, they've gotten just far enough away from survival mode to go, I hate your fucking guts, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> and it's, and it primarily, it's some of them are like, we don't want to listen to William Bly. First of all, okay, we got here. Great. I, he shouldn't be our captain anymore. Whatever this is and wherever we're going, he sucks. Mm. We would rather follow this guy, Fryer. 
And Fryer's kind of like, well, I mean, if they want me yeah. to be captain. I wouldn't say no. I wouldn't say no. And this guy Purcell is particularly like, yes, Bly sucks. And when we get back to London, we are going to tell them that the mutineers were right. And I mean, it's already very like crazy and contentious. Mm. But they, what also, what are you, you what are you going to do, man? He's still technically the captain. No one's really willing to like overthrow him or have an actual mutiny. Also, William Bly fucking points a bayonet and puts a couple of them in irons and is like, for real, you want this? And they were like, I'm sorry, we're not home yet. Let's work this out later. <laughs> so there's also stealing. It's nuts. Finally, they get like, come on, guys. And they get into this open air boat again. And they essentially follow now the Australian coast up north around the little hoo-ha and bang, bang, boom, they get to Timor. Timor. Oh, and everyone's a little sicker and a little hotter and a little, you know, they're declining. They're losing fucking nutrients. Mm. They land, they're sick, and they have to wait. You know, this is a, it's an, it's an island. It's an Indonesian island, for those of you who are less familiar with the geography, between Northwest Australia and, like, the rest mm. of the Indonesian islands. It was colonized by the Dutch. It's friendly-esque. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. But... Yeah, we're still not running a on shore. We still remember the scary, scary volcano island. Yeah, yeah. We but don't I mean, want to do that again. The other thing is that they're white people on the other side of the earth, so they're going to band together even though they hate each other. Yeah. The British and the Dutch. We're still white people. They, right, exactly. <laughs> At least we're not natives. <laughs> exactly, right. Could be worse. <laughs> um, so they finally find out, though, that they're Dutch money. And William Bly, you think about all the stuff that he was like, I have to have my absolute essentials on board, does manage to get aboard some Dutch money. And it comes in awfully handy because the indigenous people and the Dutch folks who are still overseeing things there know exactly how to spend that money. Mm. And... They are kind of towed, essentially, in their open-air boat to the city of Kupang. And they wait there to get permission to come aboard. And then they do. And this character man, if I was making the movie version of this, he is a mercenary sailor commander <laughs> named Captain Spickerman. <laughs> and he's, like, speaking English. And he makes them a big English breakfast. And he brings out all this tea. And he's like, oh, my God. You know, the sounds... Dreadful what you've been through. You wouldn't know Spickerman. Spickerman. <laughs> and, they, and they all finally lay in this house and convalesce. The ones who are going to get the island malaria fever get it. A few of them die. Fucking William Bly at this point, too, is like, oh, boy. I could arguably come out looking pretty bad in this whole thing. <laughs> well, he had lost his ship. Which is, which is a pretty big deal. Right. And so he gets busy writing his account. Mm. What happened? How this was a well-laid plan, planned in advance by all of his officers conspiring together. Because, of course, only such a plan could have Worked. Certainly he didn't come dick first out of the dark with no clue. <laughs> what, that didn't make it into his account? <laughs> Who was mad or why? He's like, I was naked and didn't even know they were mad. I got to be honest with you. I didn't see it coming at all. And the only way for that to happen is for them to be impeccable mutineers, right? Diabolical. But Bly also gets sick. He does get just enough of the fever and the sickness that he and his two servants, which stick a pin in that. What? 
uh, who have got had to get in that little boat with him and are now like, Jesus, this fucking guy. And they, he and these two guys get onto a special ship, just them, to kind of hightail it to London because he's pretty sick. And he says, Friar, you're in charge, even though Friar hates his guts. He's like, Friar, you're in charge. Everybody get home however you can. Good luck out there. <laughs> I need to get home first to get my story out there. Exactly. They leave Tormer. They get to Batavia. And that's like the best place to go to like your next stop is London. Mm. It's again kind of a, a halt. Finally, ah, March 14th, 1790. They get back into England. Girl, this is 11 months since the mutiny. It's been about three-ish years since they left. Of the 19 men that Fletcher Christian put in that boat with William Bly, 12 of them make it back to London almost a full year later. And do they have a story (laughs) to tell? When we come back for part two of the Mutiny on the Bounty, we have two more adventure tales uh, to tell. The mutineers, man. What the fuck happened aboard (laughs) that boat after that blind fiddler (laughs) put the fiddle down and everybody looked around and were like, uh, um, now what do we do? Oh, before we say goodbye on this chapter, uh, do you have any questions or anything that you thought um, was just a particularly delicious nugget that I overlooked? Oh, look, I think the fact that 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 voyage of of, of that that tiny boat is one of the the great sort of individual voyages. Like the rates up there with Shackleton with that kind of, as much Mm -hmm. as, like I said, as much as Bly is a total dick. That is one of the most amazing voyages of all time. So yes. uh, forget the fact that the, the, the mutiny on the bounty itself is, is sort of newsworthy and sexy and fuckable. Yeah. It's this whole trip is actually is quite amazing, what he, what, he, mm. what he managed to do there. So mm. it, it shouldn't go without note that that's like, if, if in and of itself is an amazing achievement. Totally agree with you. And would make him super fuckable. On its own, like I'd give, I'd, I'd go out with him a few times, but just on that resume alone, even if everyone's like, the only reason he got into the boat that makes this incredible voyage is because he is an unlikable prick. And the only reason people don't talk about this incredible voyage first and foremost, when they talk about him is because he is an unlikable prick. I'd be like, great, let's go. I'd still have an espresso with him. I want to know how... (laughs) You do it, man. Because also these guys, like, I mean, there's been other moments where I've tried to put myself really in the position of a figure that I'm studying. And one was like the lifeboats after the Titanic sank in the moments specifically right after the boat has disappeared. And it goes from the crazy chaos to the eerie. Like that one has always been a thing. The other is like the Donner Party. When the snow comes that you just know you are not leaving and you know how much food you have. Just that like, Mm. well, let's 
uh, play some cards. <laughs> and this is another one, you know, being in this boat and just everybody's knees are touching for the next yeah. eight months. And you're relying on this total dick to save you. Oh, my God. It's sort of a metaphor for American politics at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> right i know good news he'll be back for part two in two short weeks whence we will rejoin our mutineers aboard bounty to find out where they go next and what happens when those who have just disobeyed command now take it (laughs) now if waiting two weeks between hills makes you nuts how about this Follow the link in our show notes to Scott's book series, Lightbulb Moments in Human History, and listen to the audiobook. <laughs> it's, not, it's not him reading. It's another Australian guy, but you'll love it. <laughs> also remember, my patrons get the new episodes a full day early and a bonus episode in the Wednesdays in between. <laughs> Want him? Go to patreon.com slash until next time. Our theme song was composed and performed by Kat Perkins. A reminder that you can find my sources, links to the books, documentaries, and articles I reference in the summary of this episode or by emailing us hilfpodcast at gmail.com or messaging us on social media at hilfpodcast. This has been Hilf. History I'd like to fuck with Don Brody. I'm Don Brody, reminding you that history is a party and everybody's coming. Ha <laughs> ha